Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is, partner. Como, como estas? <laughs> uh, bye. The most. The most. To listen to the show, find us on 4EyedRadio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit RevengeLover.com. And we do have a bit of Word Snappers words updates to deliver to you all. We had Word Snappers words last week, and those words were, The moon is such a planet, which I feel like was delivered directly to me by Katie, our patron, because it's one of my favorite quotes of recent history. I love it so much, and yet... I did not notice your layup <laughs> and just Fine. completely barreled past it. But we, we recovered. We recovered. We did. we did. It was in there. It made its way in. Uh-huh. The moon, the moon managed to come up again somehow. You know what's funny? Like three weeks ago, we covered the Japanese Spider-Man show that literally has a shot of him against space and then multiple like space yep. scenes and we were like, eh, I don't know if this is the right episode to try to make this work. What? What were we thinking? <laughs> I don't know. Because it was just like, we got guests on, and we don't want to like say yeah. something, go on a tangent and just to say something weird and the, for them to be confused by. But they were like, what? They would have gotten it. <laughs> it's, yeah, whatever. I'm glad, that you, I'm glad that you were able to say your favorite phrase. So. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's such a planet. I can't even stand it. Anyway, we are talking still. Um, I say that like we've been talking about it for a while, but we've only talked about it for a couple weeks. We're yeah. talking about the Spider-Man 2017 cartoon, the most current, most recent cartoon in the Spider-Man canon. Mm-hmm. If you want to watch along with us as we talk about it, you can find it on Disney+. Plus. Yes, yes, yes. So we are continuing from the uh, two-part pilot. Uh, so this is part two of that. This is uh, season one, episode two, entitled Horizon High, part two. The synopsis per IMDb is, The scorpion is wreaking havoc at the museum, and it is up to Spider-Man to stop him. There's a lot more than that, but sure. That uh, does happen in this episode, in briefly. Th- <laughs> the first act, and then that's it. But okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Sets you up for surprise. I'd rather that than, I guess, telling you, you know, minute details. That's true. Yeah. Because if you're just, you know, if you're scanning through IMDb, not have not having seen it yet, you know, it, it's nice that it doesn't spoil everything. So yeah. original air date for this episode is August 19th, 2017, written again by Kevin Shinnick and directed by Philip Pignotti, who we have talked about previously. Yes. Uh, lots of folks still being introduced into this show, so let's highlight a few of the 
voice actors. Uh, Scorpion, like the synopsis said, is introduced in this episode very briefly, and he is voiced by Jason Spizak, who we've already talked about, and we talked about him previously in our first episode covering this series, our episode 77. So notes about him, you know, a couple weeks ago. We are also introduced to Otto Octavius in this episode. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I mean, you probably, if you, if you listen to our previous two episodes, you know, I have thoughts. So Otto Octavius is voiced by Scott Menville. Uh, Scott Menville is most known for voicing Robin in Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go, which I think he does a fantastic job in. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I, it fits him really well based on the little I know now having looked some of this stuff up. He also voices Jake Armstrong in Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, which we did do an After Dark commentary on over on Patreon for mm-hmm. our Spectacular and Up patrons, if you want to check that out. He also voices Jimmy Jones in a couple of Ben 10 series, Bucky Barnes in a couple episodes of The Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and Sneezy the Dwarf in Disney's <laughs> animated series The 7D, which I'd never even heard of nope. until this. Didn't know I that was, like, was a thing. <laughs> what is this? And it's just a cartoon about the dwarves, I guess. Is it a new, a newer one or is that an older one? Uh, newer in the grand scheme of things, like within the past decade. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, missed that one. Uh, I am learning through these voice actors that there is a lot of Disney television content I know nothing about. (laughs) Like, I thought I just didn't know anything about, like, classic Disney Channel stuff because I didn't grow up with it. But I know just as little, if not less, about, like, current Disney Channel stuff. Just no clue. Did you know there's a there's a Lion King TV show that's like been on for years now? That one I did know. The Lion Guard is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, that I one I was aware of. Was like when did that? Ha- I mean, okay, but when did that happen? Just not that I expect to like be entrenched in Disney stuff, but I just figured I would have like heard of more stuff more often, like when it first came out. But nope, it's all that stuff just happened and cool. Yeah, that one I'm, <laughs> I, I am surprised you don't know that one because I feel like the only reason I know that one is because it is attached to like one of the Renaissance properties. The stuff sure. that I keep running into, I'm like, that doesn't even sound familiar. Like I literally like, and we'll get to some of them in this episode, and then you know even more of them next week. But there are just so many Disney shows where I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I'm sure it's good, too, but I just have no idea what it is. Sure. Um, Anyway, uh, Scott Menville also appeared in guest spots on screen in a number of popular TV shows, including The Golden Girls, Quantum Leap, The Parenthood, Scrubs, Workaholics, and he's freaking Dwayne in Full House and Fuller House. Excuse me? It's Dwayne. He's Dwayne. Really? Yeah. I had to double check because I had the exact same reaction you're having right now. That's the, uh, he's like the whatever guy, right? That's him? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that guy. What? Yeah. Wow. Which, which actually, I think, I'm glad that I learned that because it helps me articulate what frustrates me so far. And we get only a tiny appetizer of Otto Octavius in this show. But I mentioned uh, maybe last week or two weeks ago that I feel like it's bizarre that they have Patton Oswalt right there and they didn't use him for Otto Octavius. And I think part of that is just like, I like Patton Oswalt, right? I think he would do well at it. But then coupled with the fact that this is who they're using for Otto Octavius when Patton Oswalt is right there. And given the, the Otto Octavius that they're sort of building, like I'm further confused because I think this guy does a good job 
with things like Teen Titans, like the voice of Robin. Like it, it feels really good. When we were watching um, Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, nothing felt off about any of their casting, right? Like it yeah. wasn't like anybody had a really weird sort of jarring performance or anything like that. Um, and I don't know Jimmy Jones from Ben 10, but I think he's a teenager character and I feel like that works. I think in this case, they have a teenage Otto Octavius and they're like, who does teenagers? Perhaps. I don't know. And maybe that's how his name was thrown in there. But the fact that he's Dwayne in Full House, like he kind of has that cadence and Dwayne is just like that times 100. Like he just sounds like a dude from California, like from Southern California. Yeah. And it ends up, I think so far, and again, only a taste. I'm just talking about it now so that I don't have to keep talking about it. And you don't have to hear me keep talking about it. <laughs> So far, it does sound like somebody trying to do like a nerdy scientist voice. Yeah, I can see When I feel like other voice actors could literally just talk and it would fit the character they're building. You know what I mean? It's like you can tell tell when voice – because this has nothing to do with like the choice of whatever they're doing with Otto Octavius to make him a teenager. Exactly. I I have literally no idea where that's going to go. That could – Crash and Burn could be wonderful. It's clearly like a choice and they're doing it with some kind of intention and I'm – I have no idea what they're going to do with that. So I'm very curious to see like why they made that choice, which you can only tell from watching it further. And and maybe I'll feel wrong, you know, once we learn more about it and once it develops. Maybe I will be like, you know what, I – you know, I, I, I'm, sure. I'm just wrong and I get it now. But right now I don't fully get it. It's well, yeah, so I want to say that because it's not the problem with the character, which we have to see more of to understand why. I think it's more with the, um, the choice of casting Scott Menville, whose performance is technically fine, but you can tell that it's a guy putting on a voice. And I think that that's not great. Like you can tell that sometimes in voice acting. And yes. sometimes it's not a big deal. Sometimes it's fine. Sometimes you can tell when it's like a younger person or like a person with kind of a softer voice trying to put on a harsher voice of a villain or something like that. And sometimes it's fine sometimes. But other times like this, it's just like, yeah, I just hear a dude trying to like put on a nerdy impression rather than playing a nerdy character, which, you know, maybe he'll get better at it. Maybe it, it'll work. That's what I'm hoping. The line, but I'm hoping that he will settle into it a little bit because right now in this introduction to the character – I feel like the voice actor is doing too much and it's like uh, it's like so nasally that I'm hoping yeah. he'll like settle into it a little bit and some of that will like soften out because it was I genuinely felt it was jarring when I first heard Otto Octavius speak. I was like, whoa, like that is certainly a voice that you have given him. And yeah. I, uh, you know, I just it's wild to me. The only reason I'm really stuck and I, I'm recognizing I'm the one who's stuck here. The reason I'm so stuck on the Patton Oswalt thing is because I don't think Patton Oswalt is a, an amazing choice or an inspired choice for Uncle Ben. Yeah. And I don't think this is an inspired choice yet because I don't know enough, like for Otto Octavius. And I feel like Patton Oswalt, his cadence, his his tone, the character of his sort of natural voice, that sort of like Remy voice from Ratatouille, like you could just slide right into a young you know, arrogant, sort of uh, probably obsessive Otto Octavius. Like, it, I yeah. I don't know. It's it's very weird to me. I can't wait to see the two characters more because I, like I said, we're, we're so early on that I'm hoping it just settles in or I just get over it. Um, sure, sure. But I, I, I was going to have to talk about it because I brought it up and, and now I feel like since we have Otto here in front of us, I can begin to articulate like why I was hung up. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's why it's just, it, it feels, it, yeah, it feels like an act when so many other characters, it doesn't feel like an act. Yeah. It's weird. And I, I have to imagine that probably I haven't looked at whatever the discourse is, but I have to imagine that Otto Octavius being a teenager with this kind of voice is probably a sticking point for people not who might not be into this show or something. So I'm, I am super curious. Like, I feel like it's going to be a thing that there's probably going to be multiple conversations about because that, that we're going to have about them because whatever they sure. do with them obviously is going to be a departure from anything that we've seen so far, which I'm excited about because I have no idea how it's going to affect yeah. things. I'll try to find this and post it if I'm right. Or put a correction out if I remember this wrong. But I feel like I, I read an interview or something recently that mentioned, like, Scott Menville didn't know who he was auditioning for when he did the audition. And then it was revealed later that you were auditioning for Otto Octavius. Oh, man. If that's true, it's showing. <laughs> yeah, like, like they I genuinely think like, we have a good Spider-Man here. But I feel like Scott Menville would have been a better audition for the part of Peter Parker. Like, I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but, like, if you've watched Teen Titans, he does sort of, like, a uh, precocious isn't the right word, but, like, basically a teenager with attitude. Like, he does it well. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, sorry. You, I, <laughs> you, I were, think you were saying something. I was, because I think that actually gives me a little bit of hope, because I think my understanding, again, I'll double check this and, and post it and say something if I'm if I misremembered this, but I think it was, like, I, I took it more, like, they kept it secret from him because they didn't want want it getting out the types of people who maybe they were auditioning for Otto Octavius, it sounded like, because it was like he auditioned for a for a differently named character and then they and then they told him after the fact, like, actually that was your audition for Otto Octavius, which that implies that they were very specifically looking for a voice like his, which gives me a little bit of hope that maybe like Whatever is not vibing with us with his performance might have been intentional for whatever they're doing okay. with him down the line. But I don't know. I mean, I, I will I will adopt your hope then because that does it does make sense in that context. I hope that's true, even though, you know, I, it's still weird. It's not still encouraged. Weird. <laughs> um, I get the process of it. Like, I understand the process of it, but I also am not necessarily encouraged by the fact that, like, this wasn't even necessarily somebody he thought he was <laughs> auditioning to play. Yeah. I don't know. I get it though. I I get the I get why you would do that. Anyway, yeah. hung up on Otto Octavius. Always will be. Gonna have opinions. <laughs> I'll move on. <laughs> yeah. Although I will I will I will close that with I'm glad you clarified that this has nothing to do with the choices they're making about the character because we don't know enough yet. At least I don't feel like I do. So, oh no, I, um, I have. No I'm actually idea. fascinated by the choice they're making, and I can't wait for more of it. Like, I'm not put off by that. Cool. I'm very intrigued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so we mentioned last week. I think it was that we would talk about these two: Anya Corazon and Miles Morales. Anya is voiced by Melanie Minichino. Um, she has a pretty modest list of credits so far, but I think she's also relatively young. I think she's only a little bit older than than us. And I don't know if she's been doing this for a super long time, so I wouldn't be surprised if if being part of the Disney family, she eventually has, you know, like a, a huge role or something at some point. But um, she's the voice of Gloria in Spider-Man Miles Morales, which I thought was probably her most interesting thing just for us. Mm. She's also the voice of Amy in Marvel Rising Heart of Iron, which is sort of like Ironheart's AI, like suit AI, if I'm remembering oh. correctly. 
Cool. She is Ava with an E, Alexander, in the animated Guardians of the Galaxy series, and Ava with an A in the Disney Junior <laughs> series Tots. And she plays two different characters named Isabella in the Peabody and Sherman show and the recent Crash Team Racing. So just funny naming things that are totally coincidental. <laughs> yeah, weird. And I had to include this just for you, Derek. She voices a couple characters in your favorite show, Kung Fu Panda, Legends of Awesomeness. <laughs> I know you love those DreamWorks shows that that are all innovating greatly uh, their character design. <laughs> Is my like brand for 2021 just going to be like my my rivalry with Kung Fu Panda at this point? And Which Madagascar. I've never, Don't forget, <laughs> never seen. I've never seen a single Kung Fu Panda movie and or show at all. So to be clear, like and not, it's not on purpose. It just never happened. But I that would be kind of fun if it's just like oh my one true nemesis Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> if you didn't listen to our spectacular Spider-Man coverage, this is specifically a reference to the fact that Kung Fu Panda the TV show and a Madagascar TV show both beat out Spectacular Spider-Man at certain points for animation related and design related awards, which was very confusing to us. Yeah, very weird. Yes. DreamWorks, I actually haven't seen many DreamWorks movies, to be honest. So maybe I might watch them and actually love all of them more than any movies I've ever watched. But as it stands right now, they're my nemeses. Some of them. They're my, some of they're them. my nemeses. My, uh, my unasked for take on DreamWorks animation is that they do more than they should because they do some things incredibly well. I just think they are a bit more output focused than they are... Uh, like, there's a little bit more quality over quantity, or rather, there's a little bit more quantity over quality, I feel like, but I think mm-hmm. maybe they're fine-tuning it a little bit. Sure. I think they've pulled back a little bit as a result of certain hits like Home and Monsters vs. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> they should focus more on the the, the uh, how to train your dragons sure. uh, of it all, you know? Yeah. Anyway, Miles Morales, uh, we mentioned, hey. voiced by <laughs> Najee Jeter who we know uh, is kind of currently like the voice of Miles Morales across media because he voices and provides the face model for Miles in both the Peter and Miles Spider-Man games on PS4 and PS5. He voices Miles in this show, and he voices Miles in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. And there's not a ton of Miles content with voice actors, so like he is just the majority of Miles Morales voice acting <laughs> yeah and face yeah. acting <laughs> yeah that's so, so funny you know his his performance does feel seem different in this show than it does in the game and i can't really put my p- finger on exactly what's different about it but like like it's, it definitely sounds like him but there's some but like it just he's doing something different in this show than he does in the game and i'm not really sure what it is i think and i don't i this is just a an early thought because we've gotten a little bit of miles but not a ton of him in this show I think it's a combination of him being younger and just Miles being younger. Like, I think in this show, he's playing, even if not literally a younger version of Miles, a version of Miles that feels younger than the one in the video game. And this, I mean, he was doing this before he did the the Spider-Man games, you know? So, like, he is just a more seasoned actor. So I wouldn't be surprised if we, over time, started to hear more of the Miles that we just got in the Spider-Man video game. I also wouldn't be surprised if just because this was, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, this would have been his first Miles voice role. So I'm sure part of it is just like 
him also developing the character of Miles in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see more for, from him in this show. Like, I'm sure he's being fully directed in these first few episodes we've watched versus how much self-direction he probably did for the video game. Sure, sure. Um, he also provided the voice and motion capture for a character named Sam in the first Last of Us game. Mm-hmm. And he portrayed the son of Malcolm Jamal Warner and Tracy Ellis Ross, Lucky, named yeah. Keenan on BET's Read Between the Lines. And he was Chris Rock's son, Andre, in the Grown Ups movies. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's funny because, like, I recognize him from being Miles Morales across media, but I had no idea that he was in these other things that I probably would have recognized him for anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We do get a character who is simply mentioned in this episode, but it's very worth mentioning that she is mentioned. Uh, And we will talk about her very soon, just not on this episode. And that is Gwen Stacy. So they established that she is a part of the series in this episode. Yes, they do. Lots and lots of characters. Yes. And plenty we haven't even mentioned yet, but we'll get there. We'll get there. The show is ambitious in that regard. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. (laughs) And I appreciate it for it, but uh, yep. I was looking back at our very early spectacular notes, and I was like, I can't believe that we talked about like twelve characters, like all in one episode. This is a, a very bad choice. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the way that you've uh, categorized them and organized them some around. It comes with, it comes with experience. We're, yeah. we're, we're 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 pros at this now. We're we know how better. to uh, not just talk for an hour and a half just about the voice yeah. actors. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> well, let's let's get into this episode because uh, I I like it. Uh, I'll say off the top, it is sort of the second half to last week's episode, which I liked as well. So it's not a huge surprise. This episode opens with a brief sequence of Spider-Man trying to stop Scorpion from stealing a gem from a museum. That's that's the synopsis that we got. Is literally the first scene we get in this episode. So funny. Is the whole synopsis, which is so funny. <laughs> anyway, over this little brief sequence, Peter is reflecting. We get this sort of inner monologue that is meant for us on how being a student at Horizon could provide him the chance to reinvent himself, which will be something to pay attention to in the way that we sort of identified some of the things Uncle Ben was saying last week. There are there's sort of a thing this episode as well. And I think the two things paired together, I think is going to become the thesis statement that I look at at least this season through. Sure. So we then cut to an hour earlier as Peter and Harry are walking to school together. I like that this is a thing we keep seeing this routine that they establish as like their thing. I like it as just like an anchor of their relationship. So we see it yeah. again. They're walking to school together before they part ways for their respective schools. Cause they're going to different schools now. Harry asks Peter to retrieve his experiments from Horizon High, but he won't tell Peter what the experiments actually are. So first sort of hint at, like, there's something going on with Harry. What could the experiments be? I don't know. Probably something really nice and good that's going to help and save the world. Nothing bad at all. Certainly no explosives. (laughs) Nope. After Harry leaves Peter, Peter sees a news story about the Scorpion's attack on the museum. So he's like, okay, I have like 20 minutes to get to school. So I have time to stop the scorpion and wash my stinky costume before school in less than 20 minutes. Peter, what? 20 minutes, dude? Mm-hmm. What do you, do you know how, okay, first of all. No, the, I already even, know the answer is no. <laughs> even disregarding stopping the scorpion 
You want to wash your entire costume in less than 20 minutes? What what special, like, washing machine tech do you have that we haven't <laughs> seen? Like, yeah. throwing – like, I could sort of see him making the mistake of, like, stopping the scorpion, but also throwing in, like, and wash my costume. Like, what's wrong? What Kid, come on. I've done, I've done that before where I just grossly miscalculate how much time it takes to do anything, but that's a little much. But yeah, Peter's not Peter's Peter's smart in a lot of respects, but he's not the sharpest tool in the shed and many others. So I do like that they establish it in a very concrete way that he doesn't have a good sense of time. Like a lot of times in, in shows, they just show us that he's late. But we get like a really concrete example of being him being like 20 minutes. That's plenty of time. You're like, no, yeah. it's very much not. <laughs> it is a very, like, kid thing to think, too, I think. Like, that's a really not, – not kid thing, like, teen thing to think. Because I feel like just perception of time is different, Some like, when you're younger. And, like, 20 minutes probably does seem like a lot longer when you're, like, a 16-year-old thinking that you can do anything, too. It's just like, oh, 20 minutes, buddy, come on. No, you go to school now. Just let the scorpion just destroy the museum. It's just, you got to be, no. It's like <laughs> it, it, it also serves to show us that he's overestimating himself a little bit, which we see yeah. like in the next you know scene when it catches back up to the start of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so he gets to the museum and Spider-Man experiences what is his second miscalculation when he tries to stop Scorpion by jumping on his tail. Scorpion whips him around, but Spider-Man manages to web the gem out of Scorpion's grasp. They take their fight into a nearby subway station where a tackle from the Scorpion results in one of Spidey's web cartridges like totally shattering. It actually like explodes webbing and, and gets him all stuck up. He's like literally stuck to like some piece of subway equipment or whatever. And Scorpion actually takes advantage of the opportunity to uh, try and escape on a passing train. What do you think of Scorpion's design? We don't see a ton of him in this episode, but... We don't? That was, I thought it was the whole episode was him <laughs> being stopped by Spider-Man. Um, I I like it fine. I, I feel like there are so few Scorpion designs that I feel like I've seen and been like, whoa, yes, yeah, mama. You know what I mean? So yeah. I feel like it is... Um, it hits exactly the note that I typically expect a Scorpion costume to hit because it's it's I think it's very much in line with things we've seen already. Yeah. But it fits the aesthetic of the show, which I think is really first and foremost what matters is like, does it look out of place? No, it does not. Is it inspired? Not really. Yeah. The costume itself, I think, is fine. I don't understand what's happening with this weird little beard thing, goatee type thing that he's got going on. Or is it part of his helmet? I can't really tell. It's, it's, either way, his face looks weird. It's like almost like they tried to do like a goatee type thing on him that looks like the mandibles of a real scorpion or spider, maybe. But like it ends up just looking weird, and I didn't I thought his, his whole his whole face and the shape of the hole that his face is in. It's just, I didn't like that. But I like the rest of his body. It's, it's fine. I think it, yeah. If yeah, that was like it's the fine. inspiration behind the choice, I can appreciate that. But like knowing why they did it doesn't necessarily make it work. You know what I mean? Yeah. I still don't yeah, think it necessarily yeah. like landed in a wow type of way. Yeah. He's fine. I'm not mad that they didn't really spend a lot of time on him because whatever. Well, I, that's the thing though is like I like Scorpion, so I would like for eventually him to matter a bit more. But like these early episodes are all so establishing that it makes sense that you know he's a villain, so we get to see a little bit of Spider-Man action. We get to see Spider-Man learn some stuff, but that's really not what they're going to focus on in the pilot. Yeah, yeah, it, it is funny that like they have both Vulture and Scorpion in like this two-part pilot and neither of them really have origin stories that we see. Like, mm -hmm. you get the hint of it with Vulture, 
Um, and, and, you know, it's probably not that complicated, so you don't really need to see it. With Scorpion, it's just like, he's a dude in a Scorpion costume. That's, there you go. Like, <laughs> what I wonder if that's going to be common in this show based on the episodes after this that I've seen where, like, they sort of hold off on villain origin stories or just don't bother with them unless it's going to be one that's really, like, emotionally resonant or important or something where it's just like, hey, he's... It's a it's a dude with superpowers. There you go. Like, you know who he is. Yeah, I think it could be that. I think I wouldn't be surprised to have them work backwards from certain villains as well. Like, sure. just depending on how they build stories. I don't know. I It, it remains to be seen because we just aren't very deep into a show that's establishing yeah. tons and tons of stuff off the top, you know? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm looking at his costume again, and I feel like I, I feel like maybe I would take my evaluation up one notch. I think it does a couple things that I think are interesting. Um, I think I sold it short, but not that short. It's still largely just green armor. It's a little more ornate than I was remembering it, though, so that's a little cool. Sure. I don't really understand what these, like, gauges on the shoulders are, though. It looks like he has, like, little, um, almost like speedometer gauges on his shoulders. I don't know, whatever. But uh, now, I, now I see I, – I looked it up because I, I didn't know what you meant by, like, that little goatee thing. It does look like it's supposed to look like a mandible but as much as they include sort of like a insect inspired thing, they also include just like spikes, which like, yeah, cool, I guess, but I don't really know why they're there. Yeah. It's fine. It's, Coloring it's is fine. good. Coloring is very good for a, a scorpion. There are a lot of scorpion costumes that are really ugly greens. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I do like the coloring a lot on it too. He's fine. Well, now we've talked yeah. about the, uh, the villain that takes up this entire episode and it's all about him. Yeah. I guess we covered it. Huh? Minutes. Yeah. Yep. All done. <laughs> <laughs> So their fight ultimately ends when Spider-Man catches up to Scorpion on the train. He does the cool, I think it's cool, does the cool, like, slingshots himself through a window by, like, turning into a little pencil dive, but, like, horizontal. Shouldn't shouldn't really work, I don't think. I feel like he'd crush his toes, but he's a super person, so I don't know. <laughs> um, ultimately, he hits the emergency brake, which causes Scorpion to sort of stumble. Spider-Man knocks him out, and both the Scorpion and the gem are delivered to the police when they arrive on the scene. I do think that most of this is meant to provide action and give us sort of like the early Spider-Man figuring things out situation. You know, the the sequence goes on longer than we're talking about it, but uh, it's not really like super substantial outside of like early Spider-Man fight. It's cool, but there's not a lot to pick apart. I don't yeah, think. yeah. No, I, I agree. Because honestly, I think it makes sense that they put this here early on because there's not a ton of like, elaborate action in this episode like there are action sequences but they're pretty short after this so i figure you know front load it with a with a pretty prolonged action sequence with a familiar villain and then you can yeah. spend the rest of the episode with all the setup that they're doing right now and if this is your first spider-man show if this is the first spider-man show somebody's watching it shows you exactly how spider-man moves how spider-man fights the things that he does well and the things he doesn't do well you know what i mean like it yeah good establishing fight definitely definitely So at Horizon High, we cut to Horizon High. At Horizon High, Peter asks a student to help him find Dr. Otto Octavius's office for an appointment that he is late for. As the two walk through the hall, Peter winds up putting his foot in his mouth talking about Octavius, only to learn that the person guiding him through the hallways is Octavius. So the whole gag here is that he mistakes Dr. Otto Octavius for a student because Otto Octavius is young and looks like a student. So that's the whole the whole thing here. <laughs> I do think it's it's a little it's 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 funny how long they play Peter not getting it. Like it takes him a very 
absurdly long time to figure out what's going on. Like he's literally like looking at an image, a labeled image of Dr. Otto Octavius being given an award and being like, Oh yeah, Dr. Otto Octavius got that award. Like it says on the picture. Why, why are you in the picture and not him? And it's like, (laughs) I I thought that was actually kind of pretty well played. Yeah, no, Um, I like, I like that moment. I think it, they, they play the comedy of it well um, in that regard. I also think what's really notable about this is that in a lot of iterations, Dr. Otto Octavius is Peter's idol, right? And so at first, if you are somebody familiar with the various relationships of Peter Parker and Otto Octavius, it's weird that he wouldn't recognize him. That was sort of my first reaction was like, I'm sorry, you don't know that Dr. Otto Octavius is like a teenage prodigy? But then (laughs) it makes sense when you realize like in this show – Max Modell is supposed to be his idol explicitly. That is the scientist he worships. So it makes sense that he would know less about Otto Octavius and wouldn't recognize him right away. I do think it's like a very subtle, smart thing they do with a relationship that you probably expect things from if you know about their relationship in various media. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's also really uncommon for Peter to have like a positive scientific role model. Like the fact that really his the fact that Max Modell, as far as we can tell, is a genuinely good guy. Like, it's actually kind of nice that someone that Peter looks up to and who's kind of a father figure, like, is it someone who's destined to become a supervillain? Unless that happens. I don't know, maybe. Well, but... not somebody that you walk <laughs> into expecting that to happen to. You know what yeah. I mean? And again, if this is your first, you have no idea. And this still establishes the same relationships. But for those of us who do know, we're like, okay, well, Otto's obviously going to become Doc Ock. Like, that's going to happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that happens in the scene with, with Otto once Peter figures out who he is, um, is like Otto guides him to Peter's new lab. And Peter realizes it was what Harry's old lab was like basically every student gets their, gets their own lab, uh, which is really cool with a, like their nameplate on it. And Harry's nameplate is literally still on it. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Octavius instructs Peter to uh, change the nameplate to clear out Harry's things, which I really like that. Peter's like, I feel really weird about this. That That's a nice human moment, especially given that Peter and Harry's relationship is sort of the core of the show. Yeah. The one thing that I'm like, a little bit dubious about, but also curious yep. about is so like <laughs> Otto Otto is played to be kind of like a shorter dude. And so he can't reach the nameplate. And that's why he tells Peter to change it. So like I can totally see that if he's like a young scientific genius, they might play on some kind of inferiority complex thing going on with him for how he becomes a supervillain. I really hope a big part of that isn't that he's mad because he's short. Like I'm going to be really upset if that's, if that's the thing that they go for with him. Yeah, I don't want that. I, I'm fine with them making him a small hamster of a man. Spectacular did that. I was a fan, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he 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 works in that, in that regard. But if they're going to do it for the purpose of short jokes and making him, you know, have, you know, in quotes, like, small man complex or whatever, yeah. then, like, that I'm not here for. I think it it's fine just as a design choice, and I'm that's that's good enough for me. I, I was annoyed by the the not being able to reach the the nameplate thing because you could have played the scene exactly the same way, had Peter feel exactly the same way without Otto telling him to take it down because Otto couldn't reach it. Yeah, he could have also just you know just callously been like. Go switch out the nameplate and then clean out the office. Like he didn't, it didn't have to be like, like, I guess they're trying, like the thing that makes me worried is that like, it feels like that was meant to be an establishing character moment for Otto. And if that's a 
big character beat for him, I'm not here for it. So yeah, I'm not 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 thrilled. Um, yeah. And this is a thing that you know, I've, I've, it, other iterations have explored weird shit like that with uh, Otto Octavius, and I never like it. So I'm hoping this one doesn't lean too much into that, and that was uh, a, less of an occurrence than more. Yeah, I like Otto's design. Otherwise, though. <laughs> He's, he's a cutie. I mean, he, little, he looks like hamster. He, you know? Yeah, he looks like a young. He looks like a young Otto Octavius, like how yeah. I would expect him to to look, just in general, like the classically. So yeah. I would not have known that's who that was supposed to be, though. And I think that's fine, given that this show has done that with other characters. It's clear that they're not married to expected designs, but it's a contemporary design, and he feels like a teenager in this universe in 2017. Yeah. So it yeah. works. Absolutely. Uh, Shortly after, in a nearby storage unit, Peter examines an item in a box of Harry's experiments, which very clearly, if you have seen the Raimi (laughs) Spider-Man movies, is like just a a complete like copy of that goblin pumpkin bomb design, which I like. I think it's a cool design for a pumpkin bomb, Mm -hmm. and I like that they just replicate it here wholesale. I think the only difference is that it's like a, a blue kind of color rather than like green and gold, and that's... Otherwise, it's exactly the same, which is fun. It's what I would expect from a show that is leaning really hard into, like, this is science. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, if if you're not making things to become a themed supervillain, why would you make it look like a pumpkin, right? Like, it yeah. makes sense that it's going to look like just some kind of tech. Right. But, you know, we 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 know, being familiar with the movies, that it's supposed to look like a bomb. But, obviously, in this universe, no one would know what that is yet. So Peter's uh, spider sense does go off to kind of clue him in that there's something, something up. As he puts the item back in the box, he's interrupted by Max Modell, who wants to introduce Peter to a student named Gwen Stacy. But they can't find Gwen, so instead they stop at Miles and Anya's lab. And uh, Anya actually volunteers to show Peter around in Gwen's absence. Which they never really fully get to because they they end up showing off what they're working on. <laughs> But they kind of do that a couple times in these episodes where they're like, next, we're going to do this. And then they just do something else. But um, yeah, that's fine because we get something way more interesting than than Anya showing Peter around Horizon Academy. I, I think, yeah. Or Horizon Eye. Um, yeah. What we get instead is um, Miles. First, we get Miles showing off a security robot that he's been working on. He, like, activates it. And because Peter is a new student, the security robot attempts to remove Peter from the lab because it doesn't know Peter. Eager to show off her own work, Anya uses a gauntlet that she has with the power to shut off anything mechanical, as she describes it, and she uses this on the robot, which ends up freeing Peter from the security robot's grip. Um, This is like a moment for Max Modell as an educator, and he basically says like, hey, gang, like, what could we do to make sure this doesn't happen again? And like, a couple people make suggestions. Peter makes a joke, and I don't get the joke. Like, is Okay, okay, it's not just me. The only thing that I would guess is that they're all saying... Aren't they all saying like something instead of something or like, is it the same sentence structure that he's matching? I don't know. Because he says, there's just say a lot of science talk and Peter's like, uh, boxers instead of briefs. Like, I don't, I mean, I, I guess it's, I mean, it's probably, maybe it's just meant to just be <laughs> weird nonsense. Yeah. I have no idea. I, I, the, the only reason I'm questioning it is because everybody laughs. Like, every, like it is meant to be funny. And so I was like, did I miss something? So I like went back to check, like, did the robot give him a wedgie? Like, what, like, what is he referencing? <laughs> Um, and I, I just, I don't get the joke, and I guess that's that's where that'll land. Anyway, what what it results in is Anya, who we have sort of seen, not really. Um, she's like a little bit of a stick in the mud so far. Yeah, 
we'll see where that goes. Uh, luckily, there's enough characters that I'm not super worried about it, but uh, we'll we'll see what they do with Anya. She sort of like isn't here for the joke, and so she pokes fun at the fact that Peter can only make a joke instead of an actual suggestion and says, you know, Gwen Stacy's going to eat you alive if that's all you have to offer. Not really sure like why that's the established relationship here, but I guess, <laughs> you know, they were looking for Gwen anyway. So maybe there's a mentorship thing that we don't know about. Max responds to this by being like, you know what, Anya, chill, like go easy. Like Peter's new. And I'm certain that he has plenty of ideas. He just needs to get settled in, which is nice. Max is very nice. Uh, yeah, he, he is. I do think like the thing that I like, I, I, it, this does no service to Anya as a character, but in terms of like where like, her placement right now in the series is, I do like that she's sort of like meant to be the antagonisty figure for Peter in school in place of where a lot of adaptations would have like Flash or like Liz Allen or a popular person making fun of him. But instead of it being just like a general bully or like someone from another clique just like poking fun at him for being a nerd, it's someone who is theoretically supposed to kind of be in like in his league, like in his yeah. circle and community. And it's just that he, it's just someone that he like feels inferior to, right? Like that. And that is going to point yeah. out is who is explicitly pointing out like, you are less than we are kind of thing, which is like, you know, worse and, but also different. Like it's an interesting, it's an interesting place because they call that out. Like Peter very explicitly says that he feels out of his league here, despite the fact that we know that he's done a lot of amazing science stuff. Right. Like we know that he's a really smart kid. He just, you know, is, is not the smartest person in the world slash isn't perfect. Like, you know, um, I think the only reason I say I will be watching it is because it is working so far in exactly the way you're describing it. But if they slip, then it, it I think it runs the risk of just coming off as like precocious smart girl who has no time for anybody type thing where it's sure. like, okay, we've seen it. You know what I mean? But as long as they're playing that dynamic of like, no, she's holding you to a standard because she's proud of what she's accomplished and she doesn't want other people to not take it seriously – Okay, great. You can work with that dynamic, I think, really, really well, especially with a Peter Parker. The moment it starts getting just sort of like naggy, like that's where I will worry because it's like, are you trying with Anya anymore? And I, I agree. you know, I'm I'm cutting I'm I'm cutting them down before they have any chance to like grow her. So that's not fair on my part, but you know, you have little red flags that go up every once in a while, and I'm just admitting to one. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that's fair. I do think it's it's one of those things where it's sort of like I like what they're doing in terms of Peter's story and how he relates to the characters, but what they're doing currently, currently as of literally episode two, right? So who's to say how this is going to change and evolve as of episode two, it's just not really doing any service to any of the characters that they're introducing so far in the supporting cast, because they have to sort of service the story about Peter. Yeah. We don't know him yet. Right. Exactly. And again, this is a story about Peter's, first day at this new school with these people who have been there for a while. So it sort of makes sense. Like you're going to feel even more like an outsider if like you literally don't know anything about these people and they just all feel kind of alien and antagonistic to you. Right. Like I do think it makes sense. Again, it's not a great introduction to the characters like from a storytelling standpoint, but from what they're trying to do with Peter emotionally, I think it makes sense. And I think that, you know, we probably just have to keep an open mind for how they're going to develop these characters over, you know, the next 26 episodes of this season. So exactly. Our reaction to these characters is Peter's reaction to these characters because everything's being told through him. So like, and honestly, I think you and I are just more excited about this show than we thought we would be. 
And so, like, I'm just, like, really, really pumped. So I'm just like, what are you going to do with Anya? I need to know everything. Where's she going to yeah. go? What's her story? What's her background? <laughs> yeah. I just need to, like, let the show breathe. Fully yeah. can admit that. <laughs> no, I agree, just too, yeah. Very pumped. <laughs> yeah, because there's so much stuff that's being set up where I have no idea what they're going to do with it. That's really <laughs> exactly. exciting. Also, speaking of background, yeah. I, I like that, like, all the students in Peter's classes are people of color. Like, whatever you see yeah. background students. It's pretty cool. I dig it. They're doing they're doing kind of the thing that Spectacular was doing where they're like, maybe we can't get away with like changing the race of our main characters that have existed for like 60 years, but that doesn't mean we can't fill the rest of the cast with people of color. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um so I I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, like I said, Peter's kind of feeling out of his league. He returns to his personal lab to sort of brainstorm like whatever project he, he can come up with. And and I do like that it's like for as smart as Peter is and has, has shown to be, or at least the scientific prowess that Peter has shown to have, like that doesn't mean that he's like super hyper inventor kid that could just come up with like amazing new thing, like at the drop of a hat, right? Yeah. So he's he's kind of struggling to kind of come up with an idea and probably – probably feeling even more pressure and stress just because it's his first day here and he's kind of been embarrassed by everybody. So Max does show up because uh, Peter's there, like, staying there late, like, after hours. Max shows up and tells Peter, like, hey, don't worry about it. Lots of kids stay late to work on their projects. I know it's hard. Just start with something close to your heart. And Peter's like, okay, well... <laughs> What's close to my heart is me being Spider-Man. So I'm going to use my time at Horizon to replace and perfect my Spider-Man costume. Which also, like, I, this is this is just good life advice. That's, I mean, that's what you should do. Like, it's going to get his gears turning. Like, if he has a problem already to solve, just work on that problem. Like, <laughs> it, you know, dust off the rust or whatever. Shake off the rust, whatever that is. You know, yeah. like it makes sense. This is where you should start, dude. I'm glad that yeah. I'm glad that Max gives him that advice. Yeah, it's good. So we get a brief montage of Peter building this new suit and like tweaking it. We get like him working on like the eyepieces. We see little peaks of like the sleeves and we can kind of tell that it's going to be a more traditional looking Spider-Man suit. After he works on this for a while, he gives a call to Aunt May and basically apologizes for staying at school so late because he still lives still lives at home. Just because he goes to the fancy school doesn't mean he's he's living there. And while he's on the phone, or just as he hangs up the phone, he overhears Miles' robot, and the robot is shouting in Miles' voice because we didn't we didn't mention this. Miles programmed it to speak like Miles, oh, right? Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is funny because he said he couldn't get the robot voice to work or whatever. So. Peter hears like a robot version of Miles yelling, yo, something isn't right. Yo, something isn't right. (laughs) So he ends up obviously like investigating this and finds that some sort of, as he describes it, techno organic thingamajigger in the shape of kind of a giant spider is tearing Miles security robot apart. Just like very gruesome for robots. Yeah, it's so sad. <laughs> Especially, you know, they gave him like a human voice and he's just yelling and yelling in pain, basically. Like, this Yo, isn't right. Something isn't right. <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah. Oh, poor little security robot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Peter show Peter uh, runs out, tries to 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 fling into action in his homemade costume. Which, by the way, I didn't mention this before, but I like that the subtlety of like since he had a big like a, a big like slash across his chest in the last episode this mm-hmm. whole episode in his homemade costume he's had kind of like a crudely sewn front of his costume like to to fix it but yeah. it's like very clearly like 
you know, not only like there's only so much repair you can do with it. So like yeah. his costume is going to get progressively more and more uh, destroyed until he, he has to inevitably put on the costume that we know and love. Right. Yes. I like that. I like that they track that. But yeah, so he shows up in his homemade costume. He uh, finds the robot spider in the storage unit and going through the box of Harry's things that, that Peter had seen earlier. The robot grabs, like, the same item that set off Peter's spider sense, which, again, we would probably recognize as a bomb, but we don't know that yet, technically. It tosses it at Spider-Man, and it explodes, you know, like a bomb. It uh, sheds his homemade suit, uh, so now he has to, like, either fight in a suit that's just completely disintegrating and showing off most of his body, or he can change into his new but unfinished and untested traditional-looking Spider-Man suit. So finally does, we finally get the uh, traditional old-school Spider-Man costume. Really the only change that they make on it for this show from, like, the most classic, I think, is that, like, they sort of, I feel like, I feel like the belt is a little bit different because it doesn't connect with the V at the bottom. Other than that, it just, like, looks like, just any Spider-Man suit that you would see, which is cool. The classics work. So I'm, yeah, the I'm belt on the front and back is updated, which I I I like it because it it makes sense for them trying to make like a contemporary version of the suit. Like they yeah. do a couple little tweaks that make it feel a little bit more in line with like what we've grown to expect from superhero costumes in the past decade, without going overboard. Yeah, I like that a lot too. It's a it's a nice it's a nice balance for it. I'm I'm into it. So yeah, so he's uh, he's fighting the spider robot. Miles apparently was there and uh, um inadvertently walks into the confrontation. So Spider-Man has to kind of shift focus to keep Miles safe now, and in doing so, the spider robot ends up getting away. So though Miles is uh, is safe, uh, Spidey loses the uh, loses the villain for now. Miles of course notes that Spider-Man sounds familiar, so what he does in the first of I think three different occasions, yep. he tries to mask his voice. In this case, by dropping it like a zillion octaves, uh, it's like a super deep, like obviously fake deep voice. <laughs> Basically, yeah. like uh, like what uh, what Miles did with Aaron Davis in uh, in Homecoming. What Peter did with Aaron Davis oh, in wait. Homecoming. Oh my God, I'm stupid. I was thinking Spider Verse. Yeah, yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah, no this this is literally a thing that Peter does in Spider Man Homecoming to who we are supposed to assume is Miles' uncle in that movie. I was um, see. I was thinking about when Miles in Spider Verse does it to his dad, and he's like, "Hello, officer." Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Miles does do it as well. You're right. I didn't yeah, think so about that. both of them do it. Yeah, yeah, and that's a funny little moment. Uh, we'll we'll have more to talk about when that similar moments come back up in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you talked about this a couple weeks ago. The the humor in this is is subtle, so it like almost feels weird sometimes to be like, and it was funny, but like that's I mean that's kind of how their humor is for this show. It's like they just do funny things and t- instead of telling jokes, you know. Um, yeah. But that's kind of how that's kind of how this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we cut back to the Parker household, and Peter overhears Aunt May talking to Anna Watson about the cost of Horizon High. She didn't really realize how expensive it would be when she encouraged Peter to just go for it, which is like a very supportive Aunt May thing to do, to just be like, no, like do the thing, like don't worry about it. And then is confronted with sort of the reality of it. So seeing this and overhearing this, Peter's like, man, I really, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have gone to Horizon. Like that was a mistake. I can't do this. We can't afford this. Like I can't have Aunt May just like working herself to the bone for me. Like that's not fair. So pretty typical Peter Parker thing to do. It is, but I do feel like 
in context with what the rest of this like it, it very much is like peter feeling responsible for aunt may's bills like that's a thing that happens in everything yeah. but i do think the larger context of what this episode has been doing with horizon high and then like what I feel like they continue to do with like the uh, these like special program schools like in in the next couple of episodes too like I think they're doing a really interesting thing whether it's like super intentional or not they've introduced like what they called an interview is like Hogwarts for science and like isn't it a cool great opportunity for Peter but they're kind of like interrogating like the the downsides of those types of programs. Like this is kind of what I was, I was sort of referencing a little bit last week and, but probably overhyped it as being like a bigger. Yeah. I was very curious like, what, what you were going to get to. <laughs> so like, I, so like, yeah, I, I definitely like over talked that I didn't, it, but it is a thing that I'm going to be paying attention to over the course of the show, because I do think that they have an interesting take on like the negative effects that, like special programs like this actually have on the students. Like it gives you great opportunities, but we've seen Peter feeling a a pretty large sense of inferiority and like imposter syndrome because of it, both before he even felt like he could ever get into it. And then once he does get into it, he doesn't feel like he belongs there. And then the, the reality of feeling like, well, I shouldn't be there because it also costs a lot of money because those things do cost a lot of money. And that's like a kind of a, a class issue that's already like wrapped into any type of like, educational opportunities right like whether you're talking about college or whether you're talking about going to private school that's always going to be a thing and like i think that what i'm interested in seeing the show sort of continue to delve into is like having those great opportunities just the way that our educational system is sort of set up like it kind of can actually like fuck with kids a lot by being told that you're gifted but then failing at certain opportunities right like i'm struggling to uh i'm struggling to sort of like um articulate it but I think like what I what I empathize with with Peter a lot is that my experience all through going through public school was having my parents kind of push me into being involved in like just gifted programs. Right. Because they're like, well, you know, you're smart, so you should be able to get into it. Right. But then constantly I, like barely making it in or not making it in and being like the reserve person. And then when I do make it in, it's because someone else dropped out, which is sort of similar to what 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 sort of happens to Peter like it's kind of a stroke of luck that he's able to get into it and that he's has trouble staying into it and then ends up never feeling like he really belongs because other people are constantly like treating them like they're smarter than him right which ends up kind of like fucking with you and ends up putting extra pressure than if you had just been in school the whole time but it's complicated because obviously specialized like programs like that should exist for kids who would benefit from it it's just i think uh there's always a problem with sort of like blanket like gifted programs in general where it's like well you're just smarter than everyone else or here's the smart kids who are gifted and here's you know the regular kids because you know intelligence is different like there's different kinds of intelligence that you can have and sometimes it's just because you test well sometimes you're better at science or math or english or whatever but not as good at other things i i think ultimately ultimately i know that was kind of a long tirade but ultimately i think what i like what this show is doing is that they're sort of playing both ends of it where horizon high is sort of a cool a cool idea because it is centered on science and peter is very good at science and that is his obsession essentially and the thing that he's strong at but it isn't just like a hogwarts situation where it's like well yeah every you're either a science genius inventor or you're not and science genius inventors go to the science for hogwarts and there you go like it actually there is a little more shades of gray there and peter isn't like perfect for it and both in terms of like 
the fact that he does have trouble coming up with ideas and that he isn't necessarily as on point as every other student. And also the fact that he technically isn't in the, uh, in the uh, economic class to afford to go to Horizon High technically. So, uh- Okay, that was a lot of things. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. I just like I'm trying to keep track of the, like all of them because I think I think there are a lot of things there. I think some of them, I think some of the things you were saying, like I agree with in a real world sense, but I I don't know if okay. I'm gonna try to start at the beginning because I feel like the first thing you kind of addressed was like the show, like being excited to see where the show goes with these sort of schools because of whatever take they have. That I'm interested in in that and how you're seeing it because the reason I'm interested in seeing where they go with these schools is because I don't feel like they have a take yet. I feel like in these first few episodes they're not taking like a position on what these schools are, and I I don't get the sense yet that they are wanting to utilize them to comment on like real world stuff, which I have I'm of two minds about because I think the stuff you were talking about when it comes to like gifted programs and like sort of organizing kids and teenagers into like visible groups based on like intellect, like, yeah, that's a real thing that I think we need to interrogate and sort of examine. I don't think that's what this show is doing though. And I think it could do that, but I think the show is making it pretty clear that like, these are institutions for literal genius teenagers, like not just like, kids who are smarter than the kids sitting next to them. Like sure. Anya Corazon is a literal genius. Miles Morales is a literal genius. And they use that word. Like they, I think they're very intentional in using the word genius for the, the kids that go to horizon and the kids that we will see next week that are auditioning for, for Osborne Academy. And I think that's an important distinction. And the reason I'm interested is because I hope that they commentate on the real world aspect of it. I don't know that the schools that they're presenting are actually the right institutions, even in a fictional setting, to make that commentary. Sure. And so that's why I'm of two minds about it. I think with Peter, though, I think the show isn't necessarily presenting Peter in as much of a gray zone as I think you're seeing Peter, because I feel like what they're trying to tell us and what the institution, aside from Anya, but I think even Anya is part of this is that they're trying to show Peter, like, you are a part of this, and you are right for us. You're the one who doesn't see it. And I think that's sort of the Peter Parker element of it, as opposed to the societal part of it. I would love for them to make a commentary on the economic inequality and inequity of education. I don't think that's what they're doing, though. I think what they're doing is they're inserting a standard anxiety, like financial anxiety that Peter Parker has in every iteration of, of Spider-Man, almost, and applying it to a situation that sort of accidentally touches on some of the educational inequities in our like sure. real world. Because I feel like the show wants us to want Peter to see that he belongs. And I feel like Max wants Peter to see that he belongs. We see in just a short uh, while in this episode that Max very practically wants Peter to believe that he has opportunities and that it's not simply a matter of being able to pay for the school. Like that should not be a barrier to entry i feel like the school like the show is saying that as opposed to like hey look at how inequitable the world is with regards to these things Mm -hmm. i think it's kind of optimistic actually in a way that's like maybe not that realistic (laughs) i think well yeah i I think a lot of stuff that i was saying it wasn't i don't i don't feel like they were going into it intentionally trying to make a statement i do think that some of that stuff i think might come out just inevitably come out 
just because of the narrative that they're forming of like because of the fact that they do have their narrative kind of split between two different schools like they have horizon high and then they also have like the public school and then next week they're going to introduce another rival school as well and i think that just inevitably like you're going to have to have comparisons between all of them and i think inevitably you're going to have some of those things come out rather in like intentionally or not I think, I think it's you're... not. I don't think the show wants us to examine that. And I hope I'm wrong. But I mean, I think they've built two schools that are I, I, I know that the show is like science, science, science. But these are fantasy schools. These are I mean, mm. these are sure. like, these are these are schools based on like like this idea that, you know, you just happen to have a bunch of like teenage geniuses waiting to invent future tech and you just got to give them like a lab to do it. Maybe that's real. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like cynical. But like. I think these are fantasy schools. I think the show probably wants them to be fantasy schools. And I, I imagine that they probably don't want us to interrogate it because then you get to the, to where you're at, which is like, if these schools were real, would they be equitable? And I think there are little things here and there that intentionally or otherwise, kind of like just the mere existence of them, I'm seeing as landing more optimistically than not. But but we haven't even gotten to one of those things yet. So <laughs> yeah, I think ultimately it'll it'll it all will land to be optimistic because it would be weird for you know I don't I don't think that they would want to make a show that like tells kids to not you know pursue like education or whatever you know because that's that's inevitably how it might land if they're like Horizon High is bad actually I have no ex- expectation that that's where they're going to land at all but I, I think it's more and I I think I think I was surprised that they're playing like the pros and cons of it more like, whereas I thought I I felt like going into it, I thought that horizon high was just going to be magic fantasy school where everything's robots and inventions and the conflict with it would just come from people making inventions that sometimes go wrong or turn into supervillains while they're there. But I do think like the fact that this opening like two parter is like kind of immediately delves into the struggles that Peter has just going to Horizon High as a student, regardless of any, any of the Spider-Man stuff, I th- I think is really interesting. Um, and I thought it was kind of fascinating. And it probably is the result of it being Peter Parker and he has bad luck and everything. I don't, I'm not saying that any of the stuff is intentional. I'm just saying that's sort of like my reading of it, like in context of things that could, that might be in some writer's heads subconsciously, or that might be in kids' heads who are watching it like subconsciously and might pick up on those things. I, I guess I'm surprised that you're surprised that the financial aspect of Horizon High would be included because that feels like fundamentally Peter Parker. So I feel like to not include it would be like fundamentally not Peter Parker, which would make this show kind of like not the show that they said that they were setting out to make, which was like more of a back to basics. Yeah, I'm not surprised that that in a vacuum it's included. It's just that in context with the other stuff and a couple things from next week, too, that made me feel like it was sort of more part of a whole yeah, I can't wait to get to next week because I feel like next week, it it seems like next week's events oriented both of us in very different directions sure. based on what the show may or may not be saying. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah. Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our Spectacular Enough patrons, Katie, Joe, Mike, Flux, Eric, Carl and Lillian. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. 
Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. So, okay, so this all came from from Peter overhearing Aunt May sort of stressing about the finances. And this is carried in a little bit uh, further with Harry the next day. So they do their smoothie thing, their preschool uh, hangout situation. And Harry asks Peter specifically, like, you seem really down. Like, what's going on? And Peter admits, like, pretty openly, which I like to see because I feel like not every Peter Parker does this. Basically, like, I don't think I can pay for her eyes and high. Like, I don't think this is a real realistic thing for me. And Harry is like, no, dude, like, you deserve to be there. Like, do you need help? And Peter, in a very Peter way, is like, no, thanks. Like, I can't I can't do that. And he says specifically, like, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I took your lab and your money, which you're not really (laughs) you're it's very Peter. But I think this is like part of. I think we're supposed to root for Peter because I don't think we're supposed to agree with Peter that like you took Harry's lab. Like this is Peter guilt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're supposed to see it that way. But Harry, of course, sees it that way of like, dude, you're you're being ridiculous. So, I mean, just let me know like offers there. But all right. Sure. So they they kind of switch topics. Harry asks Peter if he was at Horizon when the spider robot attacked. And Peter was like, yeah, I was. But it really what's weird is it kind of only seemed interested in like your stuff. And Harry's like, what? <laughs> That's really bizarre. That is very strange. I like that the sound mixing of the smoothie bar is like good and normal now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like much you better. You can actually hear what they're saying. Good. Much, much, much better. <laughs> good fix. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, Harry is kind of shook by what he feels like Peter is implying that it's only interested in his things. And Peter's like, I'm not implying anything. But he hands Harry one of the explosives that the spider robot threw at him and asks Harry what it is. Harry very quickly just kind of puts the explosive in his bag and again is kind of refusing to tell Peter what he was working on. And that's when uh, Harry shares that Norman Osborn is actually building a new school to compete with Horizon. So unfortunately, Harry has to keep some things secret. Uh-huh. Sure, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, shortly after, at Horizon, Peter contemplates applying for a janitor position at the school because he's like, obviously, I want to go here. But again, we can't really pay for this. And I don't want Aunt May to be doing all this work on my behalf. So he imagines like what Uncle Ben would say about this and like what kind of advice Uncle Ben would give him, which I think now a few episodes in, we can probably expect to be a thing that he does at least early on kind of frequently. This sort of like, what would Uncle Ben tell me to do? So we get a flashback. In this one, Uncle Ben is telling a young Peter that he can't play with his chemistry set until they finish raking the leaves. Peter replies like, well, I want to be a scientist that I don't have to rake leaves. And Uncle Ben's like, that's not really how it works. Let me tell you a story about why. And he says, you know, when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was 
paint my train sets and play with my train sets. But I always had stuff to do, raking leaves. So what I realized was I could actually rake the leaves for the neighborhood and they would pay me to do this and then I could pay for the train sets that I wanted and I could just sort of maintain what I wanted to do with the work I was doing. This is a little weird because somehow this all sort of like the moral of this was not exactly what I expected (laughs) because the moral that he describes is a little different than I think the story he was actually telling. But the moral he sort of explicitly says is like, it's good to do hard work so that you can give your brain a break. Okay, sure. I think the next scene illustrates that a little bit better, but I understand why they're doing what they're doing because they're creating sort of like an echo parallel situation here between uncle Ben and another character. Yeah, I get it. It's just, it was a really, it's a really weird roundabout way to, 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 to kind of get to that lesson. Um, There's like two (laughs) lessons there. And I feel like they, they, they start on one track and then they end up on another track with the story he's telling. And then they try to like jump back to the first track because I feel like the two lessons you have here is like, you have to engage in hard work so that you can also either literally afford or just energetically afford to do the things you want to do. Like there has to be a balance there. But the way that they present it is sort of weird because it's like I think it's I think it's weird for Uncle Ben to be like, I don't know, there's something strange about it, right? Like his story was about like working hard so you can play hard. But then the way he describes his own story is about like basically balancing out your life. And I feel like that's not the story he was telling. <laughs> no. Cause the whole point is that Peter just needs to take breaks and even even if it's like the even if the break is like manual labor. The fact that it, whatever it is, even if it's manual labor, it's still a break from what you were doing, struggling with before. And by doing that manual labor, it still is a break that might like, I don't know, fuel your, help your brain figure out an idea later. But that's like not really what happens with Uncle Ben. With Uncle Ben's story, (laughs) he just like does the hard work and then he does something completely different after he does the hard work. Like it does. Well, his story's, his story's good. It's just not, he, he doesn't describe the moral of the story he told. He describes the yeah. moral of like a totally different story. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about the next scene. Cause I feel like I, I think I understand what they did wrong. And I feel like I understand why they did it. And I feel like they could have just very easily omitted one thing and everything would have made sense and fallen into place. Cause what this does is it flashes forward to Max Modell, basically stopping by Peter's lab saying like, Hey, I saw that you applied for a janitor job. Like, is that right? Cause it seems strange to me. So Peter confirms that he did, and he says that he did it because he can't afford her eyes and high. I mean, this is what I was talking about where I'm like, I like the fact that this Peter is like so open with the people he cares about because I feel Mm -hmm. like other versions of Peter Parker wouldn't tell even his closest friends this type of stuff. Yeah. He would just like try to tackle it himself. So I like that he's I like that he's sharing it with Harry, he's sharing it with Max. But he does share it with Max and he says, you know, I can't afford it, Aunt May can't afford it. I don't want her to just take on a bunch of jobs, so I feel like I have to take on a job too. So this is where we get Max basically saying like, hey, man, I get that and I totally respect it, but I think I might have an opportunity that will be something you'll enjoy and help you and also kind of like just fit a little bit better. So he says, I'm looking for a lab assistant and I think it would be good for you and it would pay for some of your schooling. Like, are you interested in that? And of course, Peter's like, yes, yes, that would be amazing. And and so he, he says yes. And Max is like, cool, well, you can help me with my next project. And I do like this. Because Max clarifies that his next project is actually just cleaning up the lab from the attack the night before. And Peter is like, oh, uh, okay. (laughs) Like, very obviously disappointed that they're not going to do, like, cool science stuff. And Max says, no, like, this is good. Hard work can often be the break that your brain needs in order to move forward. 
So here's what I think would have made the most sense. I think there are two morals happening here. One of them is what Max says explicitly, which is hard work can often be the break that your brain needs to move forward, which is amazing advice for Peter because Peter is currently stressed out about being at Horizon High, what his project is going to be, how he's going to fit in, how he's going to, you know, sort of rise to the level of, of the other students and pay for it all at the same time, right? So it's like he needs the break. And Uncle Ben's lesson, I think, should have just ended at you have to work hard for the things you want. And I think those two things together are really good lessons together because it creates sort of like a self-sustaining motivation, right? So this idea that you have to work hard for the things you want to be rewarded, sometimes that's hard to be like, I work really, really hard, and it's hard to see the reward at the end of all this work. So I think it makes sense for Uncle Ben to be like, you have to work hard for the reward, and then flash forward and have Max basically say, the hard work is also beneficial in itself, though. And I think those two things together are really, really good, and I think the one the mistake that they made was trying to create too strong of a parallel. Instead of making a parallel, they should have just let the two things sort of like be two pieces of the same moral that are different but like coexist really really well yeah i i agree with you like i don't think uncle ben needed to say the thing max said i think uncle ben just needed to stress hard work and max needed to sort of justify work as its own reward bam it felt like they kind of tacked on the the extra bit with uncle ben because they felt like they needed to align it with max's more like feeling like they it needed to be like somehow be the same rather than them just sort of complementing each other which works way better because otherwise it doesn't really uncle ben's thing doesn't really make a lot of sense when it's sort of tacked on at the end i bet they really wanted max and and i don't think it works even though i see what i think they were trying to do i think they really wanted max to say something uncle ben like and so instead of building towards that they kind of made uncle ben say something max like yeah but i think they wanted it the other way so that peter would sort of see in max uncle ben yeah i just think they they flipped it in the wrong direction (laughs) yeah i i agree Uh (laughs) uh-huh but i i I like that that's what they were trying to do i just Mm -hmm. don't think they did it very well (laughs) yeah i agree i like the idea of framing max as sort of like Peter has had a thousand father figures across many, you know, iterations, but I like with Max, they're trying to very explicitly be like, this isn't like the father that Peter never had or anything. It's just a mentor that like kind of reminds him a lot of Uncle Ben in in very particular ways, but it's still a very different person from Uncle Ben. Like I sort of, I I like that a lot. I think it's a, it's a cool take. And I think it's one of those, I have no idea where this builds because I haven't watched a ton of the show. I've watched just very, like the first handful of episodes. It's the type of thing that could build towards you know, Peter is obviously and understandably traumatized by the murder of his uncle Ben and seeing somebody who can kind of mentor him and be that father figure in a non-threatening way can be the type of thing that helps him cope and sort of like, like move on with the circumstances currently, you know what I mean? And not like live too far in the past and and dwell on it, given that a lot of what Peter Parker and Spider-Man's sort of like struggles are are with like guilt and that responsibility and like where he's actually assigning it and so i feel like when you have a mentor like this that you expect is not going to burn you in the end again we could be so wrong and it would be funny if we are i think you could do things that actually would result in healing instead of like a constant state of trauma <laughs> <laughs> yeah which would be nice it'd be nice for for peter to yeah. actually like not just be constantly traumatized yeah. every day of his life and the inspiration for this show, at least at, at the very basic level, is that idea from the comics of, like, what if things went well for Peter? So, like, 
I'm I'm here for a little bit of healing. It's okay. I'll, yeah. I I would like to see Peter heal a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do think him offering Peter that position in order to help him pay is another one of those things that I felt was like the show being optimistic and trying to maintain the fantasy to a degree of like, no, this school is for Peter and he's not supposed to feel left out. He's just not seeing all of the ways that he can fit in. And that does have real world implications too. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Just one of, one of those things I, I, we, you know, we keep saying this cause we're only three episodes in, but we're so excited. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen enough to know these things, but just this show is so much, so much denser than I expected. It is. It's, that's a smart storytelling choice too, because it, it gets Peter in a very particular place where he can be in on whatever, you know, whatever this, whatever this, uh, uh, drama going on with Max and all the other adult scientists mm-hmm. in in New York is like that's going to put him squarely in the middle of it, or at least like on the radar for it. Uh, you know, a smart way to kind of get him involved while also enshrining Peter Parker like financial issues into it. Like I think it, it that's actually pretty elegantly done. Rather than Max just being like, by the way, do you want a job as my lab assistant? Like, there's a reason for that to happen, and that's that's good writing. Yeah. So before they actually start cleaning, you know, Max's next project. Uh, Max shares that he and Anya are going to be going to Midtown High later that day to basically look further into Harry's case. Because I think one thing that they don't make super duper clear, but they you can track, is that these first handful of episodes seem to really take place over the course of like a week-ish. With, with a little bit of like uh, circumstances confusing that, especially next week um but i guess we'll talk a little bit more about that next week this is all supposed to be happening in like a pretty short amount of time i think so they're still still looking into the the hairy potential sabotage situation max suggests that peter come along because peter is very familiar with harry and peter is very familiar with midtown and this results in us not seeing the cleaning at all because we go right to midtown it's so funny it's like that that's the second time now that they're like we're gonna do this Mm, never mind we're doing this instead yeah we're not actually going to do that because for the TV show, it might be boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so now we cut back to Midtown and uh, at Harry's locker, Alistair Smythe, the, the most villainous teenager to ever villain, uh, approaches, <laughs> approaches Harry and he's poking fun at Harry's suspension because he's a little shit. Harry kind of implicates Alistair and Spencer in the accident earlier in the week, uh, which results in the two of them just fighting in the hallway. To Harry's surprise, Max shows up and breaks up their fight and explains that he's here to uh, talk to folks about Harry's character. So not a great, uh, if you're talking about Harry's character, not great to walk out on, on him literally having a fight with another student in the middle of the hallway. Yep. Bad timing. Harry is, again, another case of Harry being upset by what someone is implying now he's just like really so like you guys like don't believe you know he's he's taking this as like if they have to come and ask about his character from you know from his schoolmates like that implies that they suspect that he might not have good character right even though we know that they're probably just collecting information and quotes that they can present in a hearing or something like that i Um, think this might be unintentionally clever because the way that max says it he says i'm here to talk to folks about your character which I think could mean two different things. It could be that Max is vouching for Harry, but it could also mean that Max is asking about Harry. Yeah. And so I feel like I I don't know what they meant for it to be. And I don't even know if it matters because like you said, Harry takes it a very specific way, which is 
oh, you have to ask about me then, which could be what they're doing, but it could also very much not be what they're doing. <laughs> like, you know, it's like kind of uh, vague in that regard or ambiguous in that regard. Yeah. And they never really, yeah, they, they don't, they don't really clarify it, but I think that's yeah important because Harry obviously is taking it the wrong way um, or not the wrong way. He's taking it in the worst way possible. Cause I really like that. Like Harry's even like Peter, why are you're here with this too? You're also here for this inquisition. And Peter's like, well, uh, hold up. I was just, I didn't know this was going to be a bad thing, but you know, so, yeah, I think it, I think it is really clever. I think it really is kind of showing Harry feeling like the walls are kind of closing in on him because mm-hmm. whole episode, he's sort of progressively gets a little more and more suspicious and paranoid of, of people thinking bad things about him. Yeah. Cause for all we know, Max could have wanted Peter there to vouch for Harry. <laughs> like we don't know what they were doing. We don't see that stuff. Yeah. I have to, I mean, you know, why else would, cause why else would he bring someone who knows Harry that well? Like the first episode, Right. Made it pretty clear that he liked Harry fine. Like, so, yeah, I think that I think that Harry is just completely misinterpreting the whole situation. But like you said, they don't really clarify that either way for the audience. So who knows? But yeah. So before Peter can kind of diffuse the situation at all, the spider robot just shows up here in Midtown and uh, crashes through the wall into the hallway. Yeah, who knew? I was not expecting that, but there it is. No, no, no. <laughs> not what I was expecting to happen. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was like, okay, I guess this is where we're at now. I do think just like a design choice thing, and this might be a thing that was probably triggering like the the school class co- uh, comparison thing, but I do think it's interesting that like the hallway of Midtown, like the lockers have like graffiti and stuff on them, which mm-hmm. like personally I think it's fucking cool, but obviously like that's usually done to like to to sort of uh signify that it's like you know i don't know a, a not I, I okay people frequently use graffiti to imply dereliction or lower yeah. class or something and that is an incorrect thing to do but yeah. people do it it's yeah. it's frequently used as like a a device that is inaccurate <laughs> Yeah, but people do it nonetheless. It's a shorthand that gets done in media, so it's sort of like it. It, it just struck me that it was there because you don't, you never see that in the background of like kids' cartoons in school most of the time. It could just be a style stylistic choice from the artists, and they're just like, yeah, that's realistic that there's going to be some like you know graffiti on lockers in a school in in you know in New York City. That's just what you know. That's just how a lot of them look, but since a lot of media does use it as shorthand, it's sort of like, was that some kind of intentional choice that you were making? Were you trying to say something with that? I don't know. It was just a thing I thought worth pointing out because it's not a thing you normally, you often see in Mm -hmm. cartoons. Yeah, I do think, I think that could be, that's definitely something to pay attention to because I currently am am not super encouraged that they're going to like have a stance, but that is like a piece of potential evidence that, that they will down the line if they're doing what they're doing, which you know, again, not the right way to do it, but we're seeing it for what, what it probably is. Yeah, well, either way, either way, in this hallway, the robot is there, and he immediately begins pursuing and grabbing Harry. In the commotion, Peter, of course, changes into his new Spidey suit. Uh, he manages to confront the spider robot outside just as it begins to kind of clear Midtown's campus. Um, it fires back at Spidey, and Spidey grabs it with his webbing, and it loosens its grip on Harry. So Harry kind of is able to escape and run from the spider robot. Uh, While he does that, the spider robot takes a hold of Spider-Man. So as it kind of charges up, what kind of looks like is going to be some kind of a direct blast of 
I don't know, laser energy pulse or whatever it is. Who knows what it's going to be? Some kind of bad weapon thing that it's going to blast in Spidey's face, which would be bad. Um, but before it does that, Anya shows up and shoots the spider robot with her anti-mech gauntlet, which is cool. I love that she just, she shows up like sliding down the railing, yelling <laughs> for Spider-Man and shoots a pulse at it. Like, yeah, the episode doesn't do her a lot of, doesn't service her super well. That's a super cool moment. <laughs> like totally badass. Yeah, it, it, it at least, like, encourages the audience to not just see her as, like, the antagonist. Yeah, yeah. So the robot ends up falling when it gets hit by this blast, and Spider-Man kind of, like, turns to her and is like, hey, thanks! And she points out, like, Miles, that Spider-Man sounds familiar. <laughs> and this time, Spider-Man, for some reason, attempts to mask his voice by speaking Spanish, as if that would change the way his voice sounds. Good job, Peter. <laughs> Good move. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. Okay. Not the Spanish I was expecting to be spoken when you have two characters who are known for speaking Spanish and neither of them is Peter. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting choice for him to be doing speaking Spanish to Anya, like of all people too. <laughs> like, okay, buddy. I like the casual knowledge of Spanish though. That's cool. Yeah, I agree. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, this conversation gets interrupted uh, when the spider robot just grabs Anya. You know, she's kind of questioning how her gauntlet didn't work. Spider-Man shares that he's pretty sure the robot is, like, partially organic. I don't... Why... What? Why did he think that? What made him think that? Did I miss something that made me... That no. Made, did I... We don't, we don't know why he thinks that. He just declares it when he first sees it. When he first sees it tearing apart Miles' robot... He just describes it as like a, a techno organic and we're just we just trust him. Did you see like like flesh and like bloody veins pumping in there that just weren't animated? Like why do nope. you, what are you seeing in there, buddy? I don't understand. No idea. It's it's the it's probably one of the few things, if not the only thing, they don't really explain. Like it it or or rather they only explain it and, and we have no idea why he thinks that. Yeah, it's like, you know, he's got a great science brain and he can just tell when things are organic. All right, I'll take your word for it, I guess, Peter. But yeah, so robots partially organic uh, and that renders Anya's gauntlet helpful, but not fully effective as intended. So the robot's still active. It grabs Spidey again and begins to squeeze. So this is interesting because this ends up playing into the dynamic we've begun to see between Harry and Spider-Man. And this sort of like ratchets that up a couple notches because we end up seeing Harry run away from the school with a group of students. And when Spider-Man sees this, he's like, oh, wait, I have an idea. And he ends up like shooting Harry's bag with his webbing and tries to like take it from Harry. But Harry's wearing the bag. So Harry's confused, thinking like, Spider-Man is dragging me toward the robot that's trying to kill Spider-Man. What the fuck? Um, but we find out ultimately that Spider-Man just wants the bag. And he gets the bag and he pulls the explosive out of the bag, the one that Harry put in his bag in the smoothie place, and uses it to blow up the robot. So, oops, misunderstanding. Yeah, it's not a great look for for, for, for Spider-Man. Nope. It's, and I would definitely chalk it up to it being like, an intentional like this is this this is Peter's very early days and he's still gonna make dumb mistakes like that because that's a really just the just the absolute worst way to go about whatever he's doing here. <laughs> it's not good, but 
the show also provides us with multiple people to vouch for Spider-Man immediately. Like they do make it very clear. Like no one believes you, Harry. Like you, you look like the raving madman here. Which, uh, yeah, that's that's a good point, and I think all, but the but the downside is that all that does is at like fuel Harry's sort of like complex that he's developing, where he thinks that everyone's out to get him, or yep. everyone's you know disagreeing with him and everything. Because it's a, yet another case of him being singled out for his opinions and being told that he's wrong or whatever. It's just interesting because it only results in one person misunderstanding Spider-Man's intentions, as opposed to a lot of people, which I think we're more used to seeing. We are, but I, but the way that this show has set up Harry and Peter's relationship as such an emotional core of it, it yeah. ends up being really smart because it's like the one person that you wouldn't want to hate Spider-Man is the one person that does. Like at this at this point in the show, there's no J. Jonah Jameson that yeah. we've encountered or anything. There's nobody that's like fueling the hatred. So Harry Osborne is the person that hates Spider-Man the most. And this is a Harry Osborne who is like the bestest of good best friends <laughs> to Peter Parker. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's really it's really cl- cleverly done, I think, especially given like how quickly this is all developed that we haven't seen their relationship that much, but we've sort of seen this, this whole Peter Parker, Harry, Spider-Man dynamic that like is very clear and I, that I'm so fascinated to see develop. Yeah. I do think it accelerates very quickly, but in this show, it's very clear that they are willing to do sort of exaggerated over the top emotions like unabashedly right like when you have alistair and spencer like in the next scene literally just like wringing their hands being like we'll get you like harry looks subtle in comparison yeah yeah good Uh, yeah true (laughs) (laughs) if you didn't have other characters that were just being like we're bad guys hello harry would i think i think harry would end up looking like he's spiraling incredibly fast (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know what i mean <laughs> I, I i do that's the other thing that i'm really interested in keeping an eye on with harry too though is that like they still we'll get to the end of the episode but like they still will will still punctuate all of his sort of like weird spirals with like uh it's okay i still have my friends like it feels like maybe it's he's like internalizing a lot of this stuff it's still you know? very compartmentalized <laughs> it hasn't yeah. like it's we're not seeing it like seep that i guess that's the other thing right like when you put it in context of like the actual sort of like villainy villains that ever villained that's part of the context and the fact that it's compartmentalized makes his sort of like immediate three-day maddening towards spider-man seem like not that big a deal (laughs) yeah i'm really i'm so i'm so interested in what they're gonna do with harry Mm because the fact that they've they played some so the stuff so quickly it's sort of in the pilot. It's sort of like, okay, so this is where he ends at the end of this episode is I think where his character is supposed to essentially start basically like for the, whatever the rest of the season is going to do. It seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. So in the aftermath, like I was saying, like Harry begins to rail against Spider-Man, but like immediately Anya's like, no, actually Spider-Man saved us. And he did it again. This is not the first time, Harry. He's clearly here helping us. And Max sort of like rejoins and is like, yeah, like he seems to be on our side because he keeps doing this. And Harry obviously doesn't want to hear it. So he storms off. And then we get this like cute little moment where like Anya and Max are like, oh my gosh, like, thanks for helping us. Like, you seem like a really cool dude. Like, can we get a picture? And they take a picture and then realize like, oh, wait a second. 
Peter would probably like this too. Like we should find him and get a picture with Peter and Spider-Man. And of course, Spider-Man is like, uh, that's not possible. And this is where like awkward moment happens. And I don't remember what he says, but then Max specifically notes like that guy has a really weird voice. And so Spider-Man's like, oh no, Max will recognize me too. And then he does like a really bad Southern accent before like running away. (laughs) Just it's so many things, so many things. <laughs> it's yep. it's funny too because he does the bad southern accent for Max in front of Anya, who he just did a completely different voice for, and she notes that too. She's like, "That is really weird." He was just speaking Spanish like minutes ago. It's really funny, yeah. But it's cute. I like how much they like him. <laughs> yeah, I do too. It's very cute. It's very Even cute. though she also kind of hates him, right? Or no, she doesn't like. She's hesitant about Peter because she sees Peter as being the one who destroyed her device. Yeah. Even though Spider-Man saved them. That's right. I had to sort that out for myself. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, when Peter rejoins Anya and Max, um, that's when she's like, like, where were you? What's up with you? And Peter's (laughs) like, okay, there was literally a giant robot attacking the school. So I hid like a normal person. What? (laughs) I like how that's presented, actually, because normally it's like, wow, what a coward. You ran away. But he's like, um, hello. Like everyone was running. I ran too. (laughs) Yeah. You're the weirdo for not doing that. (laughs) Right. It's yeah, it's funny. I like I like that. So nearby, big surprise. What is Alistair and and Spencer are looking on menacingly because they're villains. They're villains, everyone. If you didn't know, they're villains. Alistair's like tell, uh, states that Spencer almost had them, and Spencer replies that the Vulture and the Slayers are spider all part slayers. of Spider Slayers. They're Spider Slayers, everyone. They are officially Spider Slayers. <laughs> which I think that they're cool. We didn't talk about the robot at all, which I means it's no, fine. It's a spider robot, but I think they're, I think they're cool. I like them. I like the design of them. I think they're they're way better than the '90s ones by well, like a million percent. Like low bar, to and be they're fair. much better. Well, how many spider slayers have we seen so far? Well, there's not much to compare them to. That's right, but it's still <laughs> a low bar what, that to pass. So like, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, no, they're really cool. I I like to. I think the show uses. There's one bit in the next scene that I think is it, it's a weird use of it, but I think that the show uses like CGI really well because they sort of cell shaded a little bit. It seems like, mm-hmm. and, and and they use it pretty appropriately for the most part for like cars and stuff and i think the 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 spider slayer is done i think pretty pretty much all in cgi but it looks really good like the way that they animate it yeah this this show is being made like at a point where i feel like they've pretty much figured out how to incorporate cgi into a more traditional looking animated series and it's just a matter of of what you're talking about where it's like figuring out that like cell shading thing that makes something 3d look flatter yeah and and you're right they do it really really well because most of the vehicles in this show are done that way and it's really just a way to make it not look distract like it's not it's supposed to not be distracting you know what i mean like you want it to all look cohesive and i feel like they've at this point not just them but like other cartoons too have kind of figured out how to blend and marry those two things together as best as you can and you can do it really well if you have the right budget. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't notice it most of the time in this show unless you're really looking for it, which is the point. Like you're not – it's rarely supposed to be things that you're paying attention to. And when you, when it is with a case like the Spider Slayers, I, they, they put, clearly put a lot of effort into making it look as good as they can. Yeah. Which I appreciate. But so spider – so point one that we learned from that is that they were controlling the Spider Slayers, which we know the yeah. Spider Slayers. Sorry, other, I interrupted screaming – Spider Slayers. That's okay. The other point that's important is that the Spider Slayers and the Vulture are apparently all part of, quote, 
his master plan. Huh. Huh. It is an episode where we just introduced Otto Octavius as well. So I, huh. I actually legitimately don't know if that's a misdirect <laughs> or not because I haven't watched far enough for the reveal whose master plan it is. But yeah, it could be master planner's master plan. Could be someone else's master plan. Who knows? We'll find out. No clue. Someone is his and someone has a master plan. I'm just glad that, that uh, the Smythes aren't the big bads, which I did not expect them to be. No. But I'm glad that they very firmly, very early established that they are working for someone else who I'm sure is going to be way more interesting than the Smythes are. <laughs> they had to be. They, like, they had to be exposed as that because, like we were saying, like there's no way they are long-term villains based on how obviously they were portrayed as villains immediately. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way. Yeah, that would be yeah. like some weird chess that these people are playing to make <laughs> the the Smythes actually the big bads. I, I would yeah. love to see it, but not actually. No, uh, that'd be wouldn't love to see it. I, I will not be mad whenever they're they're inevitably defeated. <laughs> yeah, it would just be a mind fuck. That's the only reason. Like, I would love to see how you would actually pull it off, but I don't actually want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that night, Peter interrupts Aunt May as she's looking at jobs in a very clearly CGI animated newspaper that she, like, folds at one point. That, <laughs> that's the one time that I'm like, I don't think you needed to do it there, but okay. <laughs> no, I get why they did it, though. It makes it folding the newspaper so much easier. It does, it's but just that's the point. It's an ease of animation thing. Yeah. That's the point when it's a little distracting, and it's like, you could have just not shown that. <laughs> that would have been fine. <laughs> well, she didn't need to fold it. I know they did it because she wanted to, like, hide it, but you did, they just didn't need to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's whatever. Um, it's a minor thing. But, yeah, so she's looking at jobs in the newspaper. Peter, however, shares the news, which is also news to us, that Max apparently offered him a partial scholarship. And so now they can actually, uh, you know, afford Horizon Eye. So the two hug and eat cake together. Oh, that's nice. Um, I think that's just, I think they're just, I think his assistantship is kind of like an internship. And I think they're just calling that a scholarship. Oh, I thought that she, he was intentionally like lying to her and not saying that it's technically a job. Oh, because right after I didn't this, even consider that. Because right after this, when he's taking the trash out, he's like talking to himself. And he's like, well, this ended up being a pretty good day. Little white lies aside. Which, you know, I, oh, you that t- makes so much sense because I couldn't figure out what the fuck he was lying about. I was like, what white lie? The fact that you're Spider-Man? That's not a white lie. That's a huge lie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, that did not click for me at all. Well, it's weird because I don't. I mean, I, they have to be playing some kind of long game with that because I don't understand why he would lie to Aunt May about that. Like, right. is I guess the implication is that, like, he doesn't want her to think that he's, like, working too hard or something. But, like, I don't know, a lab assistant job in the s- school that you're already going to, like, yeah. that's not the same as, like, you know, getting a job somewhere else or even, like, being a janitor there or something like that. Like, that's something that's going to be – that's, like, part of his education anyway, ultimately. Yeah. Like, that she would that she would have no problem with. So it's a really weird choice. Well, and it would explain – I mean, I imagine that he is not working as the lab assistant only during school hours. Like, it's already made very clear that students frequently stay late, that Peter has stayed late, that he's had to call Aunt May about that, and that this will probably be another time commitment – Lying about what the time commitment is when it's basically an internship or or a student job, like, you're just creating more lies for yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's also, I know this is thinking too much into it, but, like, the logistics of it where, like, so if you're getting, I mean, assuming he's just working, like, a part-time job 
probably like less than part time because he's still going to school like and doing projects and being Spider-Man. He's probably making like $300 a month or something like as a high schooler. Let's be real. Like he's, that's how is he explained like that where it's like, yeah, my partial scholarship. Well, it's going to come in like very tiny installments every month. And that's that's how that's that's how it's given to me to then pay back to Horizon High. Like, it's really weird. I don't know. Oh, really... I imagine that it's it's one of those like I, I imagine it's more of like a um a like kind of a work study type thing. I don't think he's getting paid at all. I think I, like I don't think he's getting it to then pay. I think it's literally just like you are working in part for your the cost of your education. I was thinking of it like literally a high school job, but yeah, it's like how it would be in college, like with work study or something like that. That's that, what I'm that, thinking. That makes way more sense. And 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 then that's like, how he so, can call it a scholarship, I imagine. Yeah, because it eventually is like just going right back into paying his his tuition. Essentially, that that makes a lot of sense. So really, it's not so much that he just straight up lied; it's that he just omitted the reason that he's getting this partial scholarship is that in order to get it, he has to basically take another job. So okay, that makes sense. It makes sense, like. I mean, it, it makes sense, but it also doesn't make sense at the same time. Sure. Like, it's just, sure. you're just, all you're doing is spending, you're going to spend more time there anyway. So you're just, you're just lying consistently about why you are. Like, either you're yeah. working on homework longer or you're working for Max longer. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But you're True. right. Maybe we'll learn more about why that is. And I do think you're right, though, that, like, the, the, the simplest answer is that he, Peter Parker, in many iterations, does everything possible not to worry Aunt May and not stress her out. And so if she believes right or wrong that he is doing more work in order to have this 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 tuition in part paid for, then she might object to it in the same way that he would object to her working to pay for his school. Like they're yeah. both it's it's something they have in common. <laughs> yeah. Either way, he overhears May talking to Anna over the phone. Um, and this time he hears how proud she is of Peter. Oh, very sweet. Oh, love it. Yeah, it's nice. And then a pigeon lands on his head while he's out there. <laughs> and he's like, huh, are you that same pigeon that I was, like, having trouble with in the last episode when you got stuck to my hand? <laughs> well, you know, there's, like, the odds are, you know, astronomical that you would be the same pigeon out of this whole city. But if you were, it would be interesting because that cues him in to kind of reflect on the idea of second chances. And he has kind of a nice little, a nice little monologue about that where he says – That's the thing about second chances. They're not about doing things differently. They're about seeing things differently, like an opportunity instead of a struggle, a hero instead of a celebrity, or even friends where you first saw strangers. Yes. So this is the thing I was referring to that I think coupled with what we talked about last week is going to shape for me like how I'm going to look at the show or at least the first season. Because I feel like whether they're actually doing this or not, they've now built a thesis statement for us that, (laughs) right or wrong, I'm going to apply moving forward to the episodes, right? And it's this combination of what Uncle Ben was saying about people who can't see their own talent frequently take that out on other people. And this sentiment about second chances, which isn't just about having the chance, but like seeing things differently. And I think that those two things do vibe really well together in such a way that we will be able to or at least i will whether i'm supposed to or not examine the stories that this show tells based on those two principles the idea that somebody who can't identify their place in the world may take it out on their people but because that alone i think is could very easily be problematic but 
combined with the idea that you have to see your second chance, identify it, and choose your perspective, I think that's going to sort out the different character stories, where they end up based on how they get to their like starting point, if that makes any sort of sense. You know what yeah, I mean? I that, so you end up with sense. somebody like Peter who can't find his place in the world and that could go one of two ways it could turn him into a bad guy who uses his his powers selfishly or it could turn into a situation where he uses them responsibly and what determines that is not solely him figuring out what he's good at but figuring out what he's good at and choosing how to see it and i feel like we've already seen a little bit of that we're seeing it with the smythes um we are wondering how this might apply to max um, we will next week see this with a lot of characters. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think it's going to start sorting itself into almost its own little like alignment chart about like this character is comfortable with who they are and sees themselves this particular way. This character is not comfortable with who they are and sees themselves this type of way. This person knows what they're like, but doesn't see themselves. You know, like I think it's yeah. going to be this interesting matrix of different, different characteristics that could be sort of like a rule set for the stories told or it could not but the two things are stressed and i imagine they're stressed for a reason i think yeah it seems pretty clear that that at least at least starting off they're interested in exploring those ideas uh pretty explicitly which i'm excited about i like that they have sort of these themes that they're interested in going after that we're going to potentially see kind of threaded through the lens of like school essentially like Mm -hmm. people going to school and existing within the school environment it's a really uh it's a really cool take it's interesting i think because you know spectacular spider-man was also a show that was that was interested in spider-man's life as a teenager but the lens that it looked through with that stuff was like the teen drama relationship interpersonal aspect of it and this show obviously inevitably is going to have drama and interpersonal stuff, but I think like it's less interested in like the soapy romantic friendship teen drama stuff yep. as much as it is through like actual existence in school and like your place in the world and like your passions and stuff like that, which like are things that are going to inevitably cross over. Like there's obviously going to be friendship drama with Harry, but like, those things cross over, but the the focus is a little bit different. And I'm really – I don't know if I've really seen a superhero show with the lens that this one seems to have. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's, it's trying to set up – or it unintentionally sets up – we don't know which one yet. It sets up a more multidimensional look at things I think we've seen – superhero shows do or superhero properties do because i think a lot of times in a superhero property you get the first part of this sort of like two-part thesis which is those people who can't find their place in the world take it out on other people well that's not entirely true a lot of people don't know their place in the world and they don't lash out and become a supervillain you know what i mean it's it's how they end up shaping their perspective around that experience that either turns them into the superhero or the supervillain. And I think this show seems like it wants to interrogate that in a way that is more meaningful and potentially less problematic than just confused person goes bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and confident people go good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause we know that Peter's not confident. He's not going to be like that. it, It feels like a disingenuous, sort of thesis to say like when you figured yourself out you become the hero because peter doesn't figure himself out all the time (laughs) you know it like almost undermines that to a degree he gets better when he sees himself and he gets better when he recognizes himself um, but that can't be a destination so you need something that complicates it a little bit yeah 
Well, anyway, the, the episode ends with uh, with Peter kind of asking asking Uncle Ben uh, up in the sky to watch over him as he tries to figure it all out. Whips off when he hears a siren in the distance. I would like to point out uh-huh. that even though we described this in a particular order, at this point, Peter has not enjoyed the cake yet with Aunt May, which means he just sort of like whipped off yeah. uh, before he actually had cake with Aunt May. So she's going to be like, Where'd you go? Like I, I yeah. cut you a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I took the trash all the way to the dump, like all the way to the actual dumpster site. You yeah, know? <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I took I th- it to the landfill. <laughs> yeah, I put, I took it to the landfill. I figured, why not? You know, I'm already out. <laughs> <laughs> a few faces of the episode this time. It's just all Harry. I just think the sequence where he's really mad at Spider Man is kind of fun because they just go very hard on how mad he is at Spider-Man, which is fair. Mm -hmm. But I think a, it's funny because he's real mad and there's like one face where he's like, even like draw a couple extra lines on his face to make him look even angrier. He's he's kind of raging out, but also like that contrasted with everybody who's perpetually in the background of every, every frame of Harry being mad is like not really reacting to it. And so it's just like one dude kind of raging out and everyone else is like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially this first one where, like, you can imagine Anya just being like, ugh, what's his problem? <laughs> See ya, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't show Harry in a particularly good light. We know it's a little more complex in the in the context of the episode. But on its own, it's fine. It's just like, this man's just yelling at Spider-Man. <laughs> yep, yep. Just hates Spider-Man. Yeah. He stole that guy's pizza. <laughs> Okay, well, we finished the pilot now. I really I'm really I'm really liking this show or at the very least like I mean it's hard to really gauge an opinion when it's like kind of this early into the run and they've you know, there's a lot of stuff that they're setting up so it's taken two episodes and a series of shorts to like set up everything that I think they wanted to have set up for the series moving forward. Um and there's even more stuff next week that I think is a lot of setup too. So like it's it's hard to really gauge but I'm I'm really 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 interested in where the show goes, given what it's setting up and where it's where its sort of launching pad is. Uh, like, because I really truly don't know what direction they're going to end up going in, and I might I might love it, I might hate it, I'm, I might just like it. Like, I don't know. But no matter what, I'm really intrigued because it does. Even though this is sort of a back to basic Spider-Man is what they were intending to do, it does feel like a lot of the takes on things are pretty wildly different in ways that, like, I think can lead to really, really cool stuff. I, yeah, we're at the point now where it's like, okay, we've seen this incredibly strong foundation you've built. Now let's see what you put on top of it. Because just because you have this really dope foundation doesn't mean you're going to build anything cool. So show us what you got. Exactly. But I'm definitely invested. I'm excited to see see more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm excited to see where they go. I mean, I would expect the pilot to be sort of some of their higher quality stuff. So um, we'll see if they, if they continue to deliver on that or not. Yep. 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 Well, otherwise, if you want to look at some other high quality stuff, nailed it, you can look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash walloping web snappers, and maybe even join our Patreon and get access to a ton of really, 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 really cool stuff. But if you'd like to find us individually, where can we find you, Doug? 
You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. If you like Pokemon, you can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books, video games, TV, movies, just media in general, and you want to know what other folks are into, uh, you can check out a podcast called Novel Gaming where my friends Vicky and Katie and I check in on everything that we have been consuming, whether we liked that stuff or not. Derek, where can people find you and the stuff you're working on? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. If you would like to hear more from both Doug and I, we are on another podcast called Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, where we're watching every single Pixar film chronologically, one episode per month. Our episode on Finding Nemo is out now, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us on our website, wallopingwebsnappers.com, with a full archive of all of our episodes. And you can follow us all across social media under wallopingwebpod or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Giving us a rating is the best way to help us out with helping other people find our show. Next week, we got another school thrown into this complicated school mix as Norman Osborne opens his own rival school in Osborne Academy. See you there. See ya. So before they actually get to the cleaning, Max's next project, um, did I say that properly? I feel like I didn't. So before they get to the actual cleaning, you know, Max's next project, Max's next project. Yeah, that's right. Why do, that sounded so weird in my head both times. <laughs> Max's next project. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What the, <laughs> what? Too many X's in there. Okay.